awesome gospel that you have given us, God. That, that, so we do not deserve this. We don't deserve any of it. We don't deserve to have this good news. Lord, in this world so full of bad news, that's, that's what we deserve. But you have given us good news. Thank you for that. Bless us now as we come before you. God, if there's sin in our heart, and I know there is, I know there's sin even in my own heart, Lord. I pray that you drive us to repentance. You, you encourage us, Lord, to just lay it all down before you. To simply say, you are enough. We need not our sin in our life. God, there are sins that we do we don't even realize. We're good at justifying, saying that this is part of who we are. This is part of what we do. God, show us our idols. Show us our sins. Show us what we are doing wrong so that we can glorify you. Because God, you are so good. And God, not only here, but be with all the other Christians meeting around the world in whatever capacity, whether that be in homes, underground, on top of mountains, hidden in forests, wherever, Lord, in prisons. God, we pray that you just continue to encourage them as you do with us, to remind them as with us that we're in this together, that we are one big family under the name of Jesus. There is a unity that goes beyond comprehension, Lord. And God, I know that you are the rest we need. And God, I pray that that's what we remember. So Lord, help us focus on what your message is here today. So when we leave, we can leave with smiling faces of joy, saying it is finished in Jesus. Amen. So today we're going to look over Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 through 8a. And what that a means, basically, we're not covering all of verse 8. We're going to stop at the period. That's, we're going to stop right there. But before we get started, we got to remember a few things as we look at this text. It's always important because if, when we look at the whole book of Ephesians, it's always important to remember that it's basically divided up into two parts. Chapters 1 through 3 speaks of what God has graciously done for us in Christ by faith alone. So if I could summarize it, um, they... The, um, they're basically three chapters that say what Christ, that Christ has done everything for you and me through faith in him. And then chapters four through six, Paul then is explaining what God is graciously working in us by faith in Jesus alone. And if I can summarize the last three chapters, they say Christ is working in us to see him as our everything through faith in him alone. And I know that sounds kind of abstract, you know, I know it's, it's kind of hard to comprehend, and, and honestly, it is. I mean, I struggle with it all the time. I mean, that's what consumes my mind, because it just seems too good to be true that Christ is my everything, Christ is our everything. I mean, that's just, what does that even mean? It sounds great. But again, this last part of the book, praise to God, We are not left to ourselves to try to figure out what that means or what that looks like in our life. Chapters 4 through 6, Paul is laying out what Christ as our everything looks like for you and for me now, now that we have faith in him. What what is working in us. So Paul is straight up telling us and showing us what are the consequences of what having Christ as our everything means, what it means to see him as our victor, to see him as our hope, to see him as our security, to see him as our comfort, to see him as our satisfaction, to see him as our strength. You know, these last chapters is what it means to see him as the source 
of all the love that we need in this world. To see him as all the affirmation and validation we need in this world to have worth and to have meaning in our life. You know, this gospel message of good news really is all-consuming of all that we are through this union that we have in Christ because now it affects everything about us because it is truly finished in Christ. Think of it this way. These last chapters are saying Christ is your everything and therefore this affects everything about you, not just some things, but everything. From the mundane things in life to the critical and crucial things in life. All of it, all of you, whatever, whatever makes you you and special you, like whatever you are, all of it now is completely and consequently affected by Jesus and his gospel of grace over your life and in your life. So Paul then now is then going to lay out what, what a life looks like that trusts in Christ's finished works. He's revealing the, what consequently comes about a life that lives from the truth that it is finished in Christ. And ultimately, it's a life of freedom in all things because it is a life that is resting in Jesus for everything. So our title today is, You Are Set Free. Amen. Amen. So let's look at the text and see what Paul has to say about what a life of freedom is. It says in verse 7, Therefore, do not become partners with them. Now, as we look at this text, the them is the non-believers. So Paul is saying, do not become partners with the non-believers, the unbelievers in the world. Do not become partakers with those who do not have faith in Christ. So the question then, like, what does that even mean? I mean, is he saying that we shouldn't have contact with non-believers? Do we just cut ourselves off from the world, live in silos, live in our own little communities underground? Do we get in our cars and drive away saying with a loud voice, see ya, as we speed away in our cars? I know for some that might be a dream come true. (laughs) But that's not what Paul is speaking about. That's not what he's saying when he says do not become partners. He's really speaking of the exact opposite of that. He is speaking about how we are called to live amongst non-believers in this world as we do interact with them. He is speaking about the influence they have in our life and ours in theirs. For remember, we are called to a life of freedom, not a life of retreat. A life of retreating is not freedom, but is in bondage to defeat and fear. And Paul's not about defeat, but a life of victory in Jesus over sin. A life of freedom from the fear of death. So Paul then introduces us to our first point, I guess. Sin is no longer your friend. That's our first point. So, the idea here is Paul is stating, do not become partners or join or participate or celebrate with non-believers, them, in their sinful lifestyles or their sins. Your life and my life 
should not be a life that's identified with the sins of the world. Or let me put it more bluntly. When you and I sin, we are in some sense trying to achieve the same goal as non-believers. We are letting ourselves walk hand in hand, if you will, with them in our sins, even if no one is around to see it. In principle, through our sin, whatever that is, greed, hate, selfishness, jealousy, unforgiveness, the idolatry of fear of the future, the pride of the moment, the glance of lust, whatever, in those moments we are saying with the world that Jesus is not enough for us. Sin in whatever form, like a deed, a thought, an emotion, a sexual relationship outside of marriage, an adult image on the screen. The practical but sinister plan that will get you what you want, like a promotion, or get the attention you are looking for at someone else's expense in your life. The investment that consumes your soul as stocks go up and down, and so does your sense of worth go up and down, and value go up and down, and hope goes up and down. The hobby that takes precedent over all else, including your time with the Lord. The interaction with a spouse, parent, friend, child, coworker that you vengefully need to tear down just for a bit because they're getting a little too high because they disrespected you and belittled you. So you need to get that respect back that you think you deserve. So you just tear into them. And we can't just keep away from the gossip about someone. So we join in our little self-righteous judgment circle so we can feel better about ourselves at their expense because we would never do that. Can you believe that? Whatever the sin is, when we commit these sins, we say with the world, it is our sin that can provide the true rescue and freedom we need in those moments. We say with the world that we know better than Jesus. For the cross is just not that powerful. It's just not that fulfilling. And you know what? There's real no, there's no wisdom to be found and rest to be found in the cross. When we sin in principle, we are participating with them, the world. That's what Paul means by not becoming partners with them. He's not saying not, don't associate with non-believers. I mean, how else are they going to hear about the gospel? He means don't take on their identity as being okay with sin in your own life. Nor are we to celebrate sin in the lives of others or our own. Paul is not saying you can't have Christian friends or acquaintances. He's not saying to be... Uh, He's saying, be friends, but don't take on their practices of sin or their sinful lifestyle in your life. The sin is not your friend. See, Paul is going a lot deeper than just a symbol of disassociation of people in our lives. Anyone can abandon someone. That's easy. See ya, I'm out. I'm going to be occupied with my digital device from now on. He's going after something so much more piercing and personal. He's saying that it is irrelevant of whether you are alone or around someone 
Your partnership in sin is more than just doing the same act in sequence with someone else. And why is that? Because ultimately it's a heart issue. Behaviors reflect the heart. So he's going after your heart before God. He's not saying don't, do not associate, or I'm sorry, he is saying, he's saying not to associate with their sins in your life or in your heart. Do not become a partner at all in the strictest sense of the word. It covers everything about you. Not that you can't be friends or interact with non-believers. No, he is speaking to the sin, directly to the sin that they commit. He says, your life and my life should not be a life that embraces or participates in sin like them, no matter where you are, alone or with people. Have no partnership in sin with them at all in your life. And then Paul gives us the why we should not participate with them in the next verse, verse 8. But before, before we read it, know this. His why is also our encouragement so that we don't become crushed and destroyed in seeing how we do not measure up to that absolute statement of, therefore, do not become partners with them. Paul is, is not leaving us in this distraughtness of worry and fear and doom to our sins. I mean, man, if we... If we are honest with ourselves and analyzing our life, this statement exposes us as failures to keep that. I mean, sure, we can change some actions. Sure, you know, we can fake our way with a grimacing smile like me. Or a stoic look like this doesn't bother me. Mm. But our hearts, when it comes to sin, we're doomed if left to ourselves. But remember... The gospel is good news, not bad news for us. So knowing this, Paul says in verse 8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Paul here calms us down and reminds us of the absolute truth of the gospel. We are not doomed by our sins anymore because of what Jesus has done for us. And because of what he is working in us through faith in him, even with our failures and sins against him right now. And this brings us to our second point. Light never leaves you. So to press this truth in and to remind us of the hope and rescue and relief and rest we now have in Jesus, to give us this encouragement in the Lord so we don't just walk away with our heads down, kicking the dust beneath our feet, going, oh, woe is me. Paul reminds us of the gospel message of what Christ has saved us from and has saved us to by faith alone in him. And he does this by using imagery of light and darkness in relation to us. Notice, notice here how Paul describes you before you knew Christ and me. It states that at one time you were darkness. Not that you were in darkness. Certainly, that's true. 
But the focus is not the environment. That's not the focus here. He's not focused on the circumstances that, that, that's around us. That's not, that's not what he's looking at. Rather, you are in view. Your whole being is in focus here. Your heart, if you, if you will, he's focusing on how your heart or you is in, in view of relation to sin and to Jesus. Paul says, you were darkness, meaning at one time before you knew Christ, you were just as the forces of darkness. Wherever you went, whatever you did, even if you did nothing and were just standing still, you were darkness. Darkness was not out there beyond you. No, you were that beyond. You were that darkness. Or put in practical terms, you were a lot worse than you think or realize. For your identity was only sin. So that that is all that you could do. Your character, your actions, all flowed from a sinful darkness heart of sin. So even seemingly the good things, in the end, only amounted to sin. It was only an extension of your darkness. Not someone else's, yours. You were darkness. Now, real quick, is Paul saying that you were as sinful as you could be? Now, obviously, no. There are those whose lives are all about causing as much as destruction as possible to others. There are those who pursue greater and greater sins and inflict more and more physical pain and destruction in others. But, nonetheless, sin is sin. And Paul is saying here, Sin is all that we did, no matter how good it may seem or how small it was, for our hearts were darkness. Because in the end, whatever we did, it was only, it was only in alignment with the sinful world that is running away and purposely ignoring its creator. Giving him no glory, no honor, no thanks. It was all about you with the world. We're all about being fully independent of God. It was not towards being fully dependent on him at all. That was you, that was me. At one time, we were darkness. By the way, just that is what's wrong with the world. I know we like to blame things. We like to blame this or that, blame this person, this idea, this philosophy, this political system, blame this circumstance, blame this relationship, blame this education system. We like to blame a lot of things. But the real ultimate issue with mankind is none of those things. What's wrong with mankind is their hearts. They are darkness. And no matter how much we try to fix it with politics, education, finances, whatever, love, whatever, you can't fix the heart. Only Christ can. So do you want to change the world for the better? You want to change your environment in which you live for the greater good? You want to truly invest in your kids, in your family, in your friends, in your neighbor, people here in this church? Give them the gospel and not your agenda of what you think is best. 
Because what you think is best is just giving into the world and its behavior modifications that don't last and have no effect on the heart. You end up just being partners in sin with the world and its ways. For the world wants you to, I'm going to say this, the world wants you and me to forget that you are dealing with a heart that may be in darkness or is in darkness or a heart that needs to be reminded that they are no longer in darkness. Just like our text says. Paul says, but now you are light in the Lord. See, Paul here is very bluntly saying that we are no longer darkness at all through faith in Christ. The identity of darkness is no longer true of you anymore at all. You and I are light in the Lord. So this is the main reason and the encouragement as to why we no longer need to be partners with the world and its ways of sin in anything anymore. Paul here is saying that the power of sin is broken over us completely. We are set free from the bondage of sin, for we are now light in the Lord. See, through faith in Christ, we have had a radical transformation of our spiritual life. Something supernatural has taken place within our hearts and minds. We are now light. Not that we have to go out and get light, Not that we have to, follow me here, not that we have to change something about us to be light as compared to darkness. No, we are this light now. Even in our failings and sins, we are still the light in the Lord. And that statement is absolutely incredible when you think about it. And it's so freeing because you would think my sin would move me away from the light or move the light away from me. But that's not what Paul is saying at all. In fact, that's the whole reason of why we're not to be partners in sin in any sense of the word. For sin is not our identity anymore at all. We are free from its power, free from its domain over us. Why? Because we are the light of the Lord. There is no qualification to that statement outside of having faith in Christ. Hence it says, in the Lord. The in is It means that we are unified with him by faith alone. Remember, he is speaking to believers. He's not talking to non-believers. He's speaking to believers who are dealing with sin in their life as they have faith in Christ. So uh, that's everyone here. And Paul here is basically saying, you are not going to out-sin God's grace over you. So just give up on your sin. Because God is not going to give up on you no matter what. So just look to Christ for your everything and stop looking at your sin for anything. Or put differently and more to the point, 
Paul is directly saying here that Christ will not let your sin be your identity. He will not let it have a grip upon your heart to change who you are now. He can't and he won't. Why? Because Paul says we are light in the Lord. And that is the key in the Lord. We, for we are not the source of this light. Like we were as for the source of darkness. You were darkness, but we are now light in the Lord. It is Christ's light that is now in us by being unified with him through faith alone. That is the promise of the gospel. He has done it all for us through faith in him alone. It's not a matter of our performance before him, good or bad. Us being light is not a matter of our good or bad works at all. We are light, and that that is just a statement of truth. That's a statement of the gospel. That is our hope that we can fully rest in confidently by faith in Christ alone in Him. We have full freedom in Christ. If you have faith in Jesus, you are light. Even if you try to partner with darkness, which we all do. That's why we sin. I mean, we sin. Guess what? You are still light. Because when Christ said it is finished upon the cross, He meant it. And he won't let you become darkness again. You will stay the light. For it is his light that he has accomplished for you. That he has given unconditionally to you. That is now in you. For you could do nothing to earn it in the first place. And you can do nothing to lose it now. You can only receive it through faith in him. Faith is not a work that you do. It's simply trusting in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So no matter how small, how frail, how weak, how inconsistent, how all over the place your faith may be, you are light in the Lord. Now I might have pricked something in you, pricked some thought that has come up that says, are you saying, John, that we can live however we want then? Are you saying that we can just have faith in Christ and that's it? And I can do whatever sin I want? Are you saying that since we are the light, it doesn't matter how we live at all? Who cares then, right? Because you're saying we're light, so who cares? We can do whatever. And to that I say, yeah. Yes, you can. You can do whatever you want. But I ask in return, will you really want to do whatever you want? as you comprehend more and more how truly free you are in Christ? That's the question. As you come to know His grace more and more over you, will you want to do whatever you want? Or let me put it in a different manner. As you see this promise of the gospel of how you are the light in the Lord, And that the only way that could ever be was by God having a love for you so much that he graciously gave up his son on your behalf to free you from the darkness you were so that you would not have to face his hammer of eternal wrath. 
Can you willingly invest all that you are to go find more and more sins and and commit them knowing that Christ gracefully and sacrificially gave up his life out of love for your hopeless estate to free you from your darkness that you were doomed to and condemned to, condemned to an eternal torment and hell. I ask you, how is it that you can focus on Christ and how He has died to free you from those very sins in your life that you are planning on committing that you can so gleefully go to them and have no regret after you do them? I ask you, when you see that how He put His life on the line for your life so that you can have a life of freedom and all the spiritual blessings and hope and peace and be adopted into His family and be given eternal life to be in the favorable presence of God. How Christ is on a mission to bring you to heaven, to be with His Father, so you no longer have to deal with sin, but finally can be free of the presence of sin in your life once you get to heaven. Can you really say you want to adamantly pursue the very sins that put Him upon the cross to bear your eternal wrath that you deserved if you are a christian you will say i can't i can't do that that's not my heart for these truths of the gospel then will empower you by his grace to not want to sin they will cause your heart to be grieved by your sin and not take joy in them It will cause you to hate your sin more and more and have less and less enjoyment of them and to be bothered by them when they're exposed. To have that feeling of, ah, this doesn't seem right. I thought it was, but it, I, well. The freedom by His grace we have in Christ will encourage us all the more to turn from sin. For though you and I struggle with them, okay, we struggle with sin. The freedom we have in Christ does not enable us to sin, but rather it enables us to be free from the power of sin in our life. It exposes the sin. And it drives us to repentance because of our sins, because we know how gracious He is with us even when we fall into our sins. His love is what changes us. How can I do this to you, Lord? You love me so much. When we think upon this gospel and how free we are now in Jesus, these commands then that reveal how we fail and cut deep, when we look at them through the, through the cross, they then become great encouragements for us. For it makes our heart grateful for the fact that Christ has fulfilled every one of them for us. And in turn, then, we go to Him to empower us to live these commands in obedience to Him by His strength, by His grace, and not our own. That's the only way we're able to follow after God is by relying on Him. That's what enables us to change. And when we fail to change and not stay there, but get back up. And it's not by our strength, it's Him picking us up by His grace. And we do it not for gain. Why? Because we have everything already by Christ's faith alone. We're not gaining anything. We have it. So we're living from it. 
But rather, we follow him and want to follow these commands because we have a gratitude for what was done for us by him, because our hearts are changed. And we want to follow his commands out of love for him because he first loved us. And when we know we don't want to follow certain commands, we still run to him to help us to change our hearts. That's the battle. And again, as we look to the gospel, how can we not want to love him? For in him we are truly free. So through faith in Christ, as you struggle with sins, and you may commit them over and over and over and over in the same one, over and over and over and over. Remember, remember God loves us even though we are repeat offenders over and over again. The difference is why we repeat offenders is because we turn from them and then we commit them again. We don't stay in them. Because we don't want to stay in them. We can be comforted in our struggle, in that battle, because we know of Christ's love for us, his love for you. We know that his grace is ever with us and it's never going to leave us. For you are, as this passage says, light wherever you go. And he is and will shine forth through you by faith alone in him. And by his light in our life, he will reveal to us what we need to turn away from and turn to him for. For that is the promise, and in that promise we rest and are comforted by his grace and love over us. For our sins are completely forgiven, even the ones you haven't done yet, all by faith alone in him. So I pray that gives you encouragement. I pray if you don't know him today, that today you turn to him and say, I I need Jesus. And I pray today that if you're struggling and there's sin in your life that's being exposed right now, that you're able to turn and say, God, I need you. This sin I can't do on my own. I've tried, I can't. Help me find my everything in you and not in this sin. And know that he will because he loves you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And feel free to come and pray with one of the deacons that are up here if you'd like. Or pray where you are. Or pray here wherever. God, thank you so much for your son and for your grace to know that you love sinners such as I and us. God, we are not perfect. We're everything but perfect. But your son was perfect for us. And that's what we rest in, knowing that he, he will bring us to you by his works, not by what we do, but him. And as he brings us along, Lord, we know we will, we will follow because he's the one that's driving. He's the one that's giving. He is the one that's encouraging. He is the one that's supplying. Help us know that, Lord, in our relationships with our families, with our friends, with our strangers, with our co-workers. Help us remember that we are the light wherever we go in you by faith. And when we fail, we simply point to you and say, but yes, there was one who did it right and his name is Jesus. And God, if someone doesn't know you here today that's struggling, I pray today be the day. They place their faith in you and you tell them, come home. We pray this in your son's name, amen.